0: Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder videos, and a tabletop role playing aficionado. Welcome to the final Thursday edition of my bi weekly behind the scenes DML livestream, Crafting Icewind Dale, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden*. Feel the emotions. <laughs> if you're playing characters of Robin, Frey, Celeste Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this is not the right place for you, but for the rest of you, as always, you are very, very welcome to join me, assuming, of course, you're okay with spoilers. Stream our dnd sessions live on youtube every friday at least for the moment watch all of our DD sessions and review videos here on youtube you can follow me on twitter at rogue watson and join our official discord server with invite link in the description below if you'd like to support the channel please check out patreon.com slash rogue watson for our campaign we use roll20.net and for streaming i use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. my goodness has it really been two years <laughs> Oh, the emotions, the emotions. Probably over two years, actually, because I started the uh, crafting series uh, before we actually began the campaign. So I think it was actually uh, maybe early April or or late March that we started doing the craft because we did the pre-campaign crafting streams. But I do plan on doing a crafting stream next Monday, by the way. Uh, It's going to be kind of a... I don't know, just, just a free for all, maybe like an AMA almost. And I mean, obviously, we kind of do that anyway during these crafting streams. But I won't have anything to prepare for, so it'll just be me coming on there talking about the campaign overall. I do plan on doing. Obviously, we're still doing our epilogue and recap episode, which is going to be the full crew, uh, and we'll be do we'll do fun giveaways and have all these fun trivia things, uh, which will be next Friday. But the Monday one will be a specific time for just to chat with me on kind of a more intimate level, like we do for crafting. Because I went back uh, for the end of Tomb, and I tried to figure out if I did that or not, because I don't remember doing that, and I'll tell you what happened. I went back and looked at my final crafting stream, which was the, I believe it was the Thursday before we went, uh, we did our Friday stream, and I said at the end of that stream, like, hey, I'll be back again to do what I just described, which is kind of a, a final uh, crafting one that's not really crafting. It's just kind of me talking about the campaign to all of you, and you can you know, discuss and ask questions and stuff. Um, but I looked at the time and it was like July 2nd. And I recall that my, uh, youngest was, uh, spawned in early on the 5th. So that kind of derailed, uh, those plans cause she was due. She came out three weeks early. Uh, so I meant to do one, but I didn't because of that. Now I am doing, going through another big life moment here where we are moving. If you could see more behind me, you would see, actually you can probably see the empty shelves behind me right there. Um, I'm surrounded by boxes right now, by the way, I built myself a labyrinth uh but the move isn't going to spawn three weeks uh early (laughs) if it does we're really fucked uh but the timetable should be more set in stone here so i will still plan it so this is technically not the final final we don't have to get too emotional yet that'll be on uh monday and then of course friday will be our epilogue and recap but this will be the final one where i'm actually preparing a session still to come uh so i guess in a way it's the uh I don't know, it's the final of something, (laughs) but it's, the emotions are still running pretty high. And we are discussing the final showdown uh, at the Mythalar, which I am using. I forgot to pull that up again. You know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull that up so I can make sure to link to it this time. The DMs Guild. I should have a link ready. See if I can find it. Hear me clicking clicking along. Click, click, click. There we go. All right. This is the one I'm looking for. That. We'll do. This is from Evan Tier Games uh, Complete DM. What's it called? Icewind Dale Rhyme of the Frostmaiden Complete DMs Bundle. This is what this map is from. I will link to it. I wonder why I can't do that. Let's see. Maybe I can do it here. Oh, no. I can't. <laughs> why doesn't it let me link to it? Pop out the chat. There we go. Okay. All right. There we go. So that link will take you to uh, Eventyr Games. A complete DMs bundle, which I have used a couple of uh, tactics and information from, as well as, most notably, some maps. It's also, I believe, where the Ether and Street map came from, which is... Uh, This one up here that I've used in a couple of uh, encounters, including the battle between uh, Valish and Nass. And then we're using the Mithalar battle uh, map from that as well, which is gigantic. And the Mithalar is supposed to be 50 feet. The globe is supposed to be 50 feet. I don't know if that was supposed to be this outer one or the inner one, but I just kind of made a decision and made the globe. All right, well, it's about 30 feet across, which is still pretty big. However, it's got this, you know, it's a nuclear reactor ready to explode and so it's got this gigantic ring around it that's like more like a hundred feet i don't know i I, i'm gonna say that this is kind of a a cool giant stone uh platform or catwalk thing that kind of goes above the whole thing so it's like extra dramatic and that's like the location you have to be to uh attune to the Mythalar. And there's no ladder or anything. So at this point, you just have to rely on the fact that the players have, like, flight and capabilities of, of getting up there. And and it it I'm basically picturing, like, a right-angle crane that just has no ladder. So if, if somebody wants to, you know, walk on walls or have climbing speed, they can get up there. Or if they have a flying speed, they can get up there. But otherwise, there's no conventional means uh, to ascend to that point. But you've got to be able to get to that point. And Cadavex would be able to explain that to the players uh, in case they don't quite understand how they go about... Attuning to the Mythalar, which I will have I'm in the midst of constructing rules for that. I've also determined, as you can see by the boatload of tokens I've thrown on the map that I think it would be more exciting instead of having or uh, instead of having avarice appear around later is have the players appear in the middle of a giant chaotic battle. so yes, the players did hurry as soon as they could via mainly cinematics from me cutscene. Uh, from the eriel battle down into the Mithalar, and yet all of these forces were also right outside of this force field, ready to charge in. In the case of the Frostmane, like, she's got divine power. She can just kind of instantly be there with her forces as soon as the security system goes down. This is the dinosaurs being let loose because you've, you know, turned off the power, and now the Frostmane can kind of enter the city. Avarice is already there. She's been right outside of this force field uh, and, and with her entire army. So I thought it would be more interesting if... You know the players and you know maybe there's some time distillation where it took them a hot second to go from you know the void thing into the to where to where basically i'm I'm kind of playing a little fast and loose with the time um to where they appear down and this war is already ongoing i just think that's a lot more interesting and uh cinematically cool to have them appear in this final area in the midst of an already ongoing battle between essentially two opposing factions of the players that are also opposed to each other which is avarice's forces uh, with her Shardolin weapons, which I, I I didn't go with this necessarily, but I kind of wanted to play out that the Shardolin is actually pretty effective against the Frostmane, kind of like Kryptonite to Superman thing, because it's all from Etherin and she's from Ethrin and that's where she got her power. Um, I never really, I don't think, formally established that, but I'll maybe just play around with that in terms of um, just... Uh, maybe visually seeing that their weapons are, are you know, effective in terms of being magical weapons and everything against the Frostmaiden's forces, and yet the Frostmaiden has, like, a limitless supply because she can just create undead and create these snow golems basically as part of a legendary action. So, whereas, obviously, the the Black Swords uh, cultists, I guess, from Avarice are, have a finite amount, and... Every time one falls, uh, Aurel can literally raise the body up as a cold light walker. So it's the real bummer about fighting undead with, like, you know, an undead warlord at the front of it because suddenly your uh, corpses become enemy combatants, which is real nasty. So this fight will be ongoing. At the same time, you know, I've been establishing the fact that the Mithalar, uh, because it's been, it was damaged in the crash, uh and it's been restarted but now it's unstable has been creating all these rips and tears in space time which of course i like to manifest as just uh far realm like tentacles coming through i very much love the climactic scene of that first hellboy movie where there's you know just like large star creatures and just tentacles coming through and all that just very very um cthulhu like and lovecraftian and everything and uh, i've been playing around with that a little bit throughout this campaign where they've been those have been um kind of random encounters where they've had these, you know, rips and tears and and void space and these whispers and walls moving and uh, tentacles coming through. And I'm going to manifest that in the battlefield, mostly probably, again, as background stuff, just to try to play up, you know, not necessarily do it during the battle that they have to deal with, but certainly something that's happening around them just to add to the chaos of everything and really kind of reach a crescendo of this moment, uh, which is... Probably a first for me, and, you know, usually it's uh we're just, usually we've entered into a final boss room, and you try to create a, a interesting area. This is, like, a whole outdoor, just everything is kind of coming to a climax area, because we just did the, like, final boss room. Let me catch up on the chat here. By the way, shout out to everybody. Morgan, Nate, Lazy DM, Jason, Refus, James, good to see all of you. The The usual suspects. Use this campaign using so many of the ideas. Absolutely. Is that meant to be like a huge spinning blade, or am I looking at it wrong? Um, oh, the map. You know, it could be. It, do, it, it does look like a huge spinning blade, doesn't it? It didn't say anything. I tried to look at the actual uh, PDF, and it didn't say anything when I could tell about the rules of the Mithilar Cradle. Um... I don't know why they would design it like a huge spinning blade, I guess to just try to keep people off of it. So yeah, we could certainly add to that. I, I was thinking more like the globe. So the globe does have rules, which are hilarious. Um, I have to remember where. We'll just search for Mithilar. Um, I'm gonna have that pulled up. Okay, Mithilar, there it is. It's under, it's under Appendix D, Magic and Magic Items. We'll find the way this. Weird organization with some stuff. All right, so the Mithlar, Uh Looks like an enormous crystal ball held in an ornate cradle. It just describes it as a cradle. The globe draws magic from the weave, can to harnessed for various purposes. Use mythlars to keep their cities aloft and empower magic items, which is something I do want to touch on. Uh, this one is a 50 feet in diameter. I think mine is 30 feet. Assuming it's this smaller globe and not the outer one. Uh, up to eight creatures can be attuned to it at one time. Uh, to attune to the Tuned Mythic Creature must finish a short rest within 30 feet of it. Obviously, we we'll have to change those rules because I won't be <laughs> short resting during combat. All creatures attuned to, which I guess you don't—you don't, don't have to say you have to be on the platform, but you do have to be within 30 feet. Of it. And the only way to get within 30 feet of it right now would be to be on this uh, platform. Maybe I should specify that it's within 30 feet of the top of the globe, which is then, uh, you know, 60 feet off the ground. I think. And that's what you can do when you've got it, uh, which will change that as well. Touching the Mithalar. any creature that touches the globe of the Mithalar must make a DC 22 Con save, taking an average of 180 radiant damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. And any object that touches the globe is disintegrated. We're going to upgrade R. You might want to check out Tomb of Beast Snow Queen. So I'll, I'll I'll share with you the upgrades that I've made. Um, but you know, they just came off of a big boss fight, and the goal, and maybe we could crank up the difficulty because the goal is not to defeat Aural here. The goal is to attune to the Mithalar, which is why I'm hoping I can pull this off and make it a more interesting battle versus the traditional boss fight we just had last session. This is not a traditional boss fight. This is a, you have an objective in this battle, which is to attune to and redirect the energies of the Mithalar, Um All of which, and I think I put in my uh, scripted notes, would damage aural enough to where it would at least force her to go into her third form, or her final form if she hasn't already. I'm gonna start her in her second form, by the way, because it just feels better, pacing-wise. So it doesn't say anything about the cradle, and then yeah, the map does look like there's a spinning blade thing on there, which... It's it's, it's almost like a, a galaxy quest moment, it's like, why do, why are these here <laughs> when they're in the bowels of the ship, and there's like crushing things there? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I think it's a Gwyneth Weaver's character. Um, but it's like, why would they build this cradle with this spinning death blade around it? Well, maybe it is just to d- 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 deter people. You know, why do we build, uh, what is it, benches with, like, spikes or something? Like, I guess it's to deter people from uh, getting too close to it. <laughs> spinning blades. But um, I was making rules for the actual expanding globe of energy, which you can see this outer part. Uh, I was going to have as kind of weaker rules that are weaker damage than the inner globes the inner globe is like a miniaturized sun it deals all this radiant damage i mean what do you say 20 d10 plus 70 i'm going to keep that because that's awesome uh, but maybe it does half that and only if you like start your turn so you could potentially maybe even fly through here very quickly and not take any damage uh, i just think that's kind of you know cinematically interesting but if you if it takes you a while and you have to go through it or you fall into the outer part of it then you would take damage um, probably at the start of your turn versus if you fall into the globe directly, uh, you would have immediately upon touching it, you would then have to make the save to take that damage, and that would be uh, full damage for sure. Just thinking about it, spinning blaze to his fiery globe. Yep. <laughs> hey, Mike, glad you could join us for the live stream. Do the cultists have a weapons that deal plus 2d6 damage and cause blindness? Well, Here's the thing, between you and me, we're we're not going to run any of this combat over here. Like <laughs> if I if I have to start running the cultists, then something has gone terribly wrong. What I would like to do and it's tricky on a virtual tabletop cuz you see tokens, you're like, "Oh shit, we're running all this stuff." That's not going to happen. I'm I'm trying to play it out like we've got the tokens here just to make it visually interesting. Um and the map is huge, but I'm not going to run any of this combat, like there's just, it's just happening in the background, right? Like, and and maybe I've put things in too close of proximity, and we can talk about that in terms of what the players feel like they have to deal with. But what I'm only going to run in traditional combat, and and, and maybe by uh, only rolling initiative for these creatures, the players will pick up on the fact that like, okay, this is just background information, it's not going to affect us, which it won't. However, this, and it's just basically there for set dressing. Um, you know, picture like in a video game, there's like an invisible wall set up and you just see in the background like all this war going on, but they're not actual like enemies on the battlefield. What I have done, however, is is have these enemies, which I will put little numbers on, and make sure those are going to be the focus of the players. So essentially, in the middle of this battle, which I'll have this big, you know, descriptive thing set up, um, the the battle's already going on. It doesn't look like Avarice has a chance to win this fight, although she's not down there. She's going to be flying towards the Mithalar, which should key the players into, oh shit, we need to get up there. So I'm literally going to have her, um, I'll, I'll have her on the GM layer right now because I'm not sure how close or far I want to get up there. You know, if the players are getting up there real quick, then I need to have her up there first because I would love to do the, uh, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Arkham where the bad guy, with the bad guys bite at first, essentially. Uh, or, or Holy Grail where somebody, you know, drinks from it. I guess in that case they, they choose poorly though in the first time. Uh, and then when the players, and, and Aura will have like waded her way through, you know, this battle or, or keeping her forces right there so that she can make it to the Mythilar. Ironically, even though she's a god, uh, she doesn't even have like a flying speed in this form. She's very kind of ponderous and, you know, it's her big icy form. I did give her a legendary action that she can uh, teleport um, within 30 feet of her so she can move a little bit faster, but otherwise her base speed is just uh, 30 feet. But the players, the uh, the circle that they appear on is going to be essentially between Aurel and the Mythilar, So they're immediately going to be thrown into a combat situation where Aurel is just trying to get to the Mithalar and the players are going to be in their way. That does give the players a closer um, distance to get to the Mithalar because I want to encourage, what I would love to do is encourage the players to even do like a split party situation where some of them be like, hey, I'll hold them off. And, you know, you and you go up there to the Mithalar, maybe deal with Avarice. So, and I, I could roll initiative for Avarice and even have her be a separate fight with the Gargoyles up there, which could be interesting. Have other players have to hold off against, you know, these forces. What I would hate to have happen is all the players are like, okay, well, I guess we need to go down here and just deal with Mithalar, or, or deal with uh, Arl and her forces, you know, completely and just ignore the Mithalar. Because then that's when I'll have Avarice flying towards the Mithalar, and that will trigger the players going, oh shit, like we need to deal with that. Or, or maybe, you know, Valraban will just do something from... Uh, distance, I don't know how, ugh, I need to, I, and that's something we need to look up to, like, if Oral can just, or Val uh, Robin could just cast, uh, like, a Force Cage on Aural. or, I keep saying Oral, on Avarice, there's so many creatures, <laughs> it's my fault that they both, uh, both the leaders start with A, uh, and maybe take her out of the fight, I need to look up the range on that, but there's a lot that can happen, and, and this is very much a situation where you can, you know, lead the players to water, but you can't make them drink. Um, but you can hopefully encourage them to do different things and Cadavix will be here too and he'll be able to even tell the players like you know there's the mithlar and and uh you need to go fucking tune to it <laughs> but you have to be you have to be close to it and normally it's not this hard but because uh maybe, maybe you could argue that the spinning blades are turned off right now because the security system has been powered down um that might be an actually an, that might be an a, a interesting bone to throw to the players is like you see what looks like a bunch of like blades it could be you know spinning rapidly but they're just completely still because as i mentioned we turned off the force field we, we destroyed Ariarthus, so maybe all the defenses are down so it would be easy to go attuned to the mytholar except the fact that it's you know reaching critical mass It's damaged it's uh it's unstable and it's creating this vortex around it that even if you if you want to just climb up and get near the globe which i think i said you had to get within 30 feet uh, you can ooh thirty feet just barely puts you inside. Maybe I'll say well, hmm, there's a terminal on on the range on that, uh, but that would mean you would have to start taking damage against the outer uh ring if you wanted to get close enough to attune to it. However, I would rule that if you were on the top, uh maybe the top is high enough to where you're above and not having to take damage, but you're just you know dramatically on the top, which is kind of interesting, which is where avarice would land. Uh, for sure, so she could try to attune to it. But meanwhile, Cadmus is going to try to talk to uh, the Frost Maiden, and then the Frostmaiden Maiden will talk to Frey. So there'll be some. It's going to be a really tricky showdown. It's not going to be. Um, there'll, there'll be instances where it'll. There'll be a lot of like cutscenes and dialogue. And we'll have to play kind of fast and loose with some of the initiative, I think, in order to make this uh, to make this work. Because we, what I really want to do. Also, we talked about this on Monday's stream uh, for a fun climax for Frey. The fact that she is you know, devoted to the frostmaiden, at least enough to become attuned to the Seal and gain all those powers, is that the frost that will kind of reach a climax because what I really can't have happen, which would devastate the player balance, is if is if Frey turns on the players and agrees with the Frost Maiden. I guess I could always have that be an option for the player. But I, I like to again encourage the player to make certain decisions by having the Frost Maiden be very callous. And very like, I don't give a fuck about you, but what I want is your monster. Like, that's the, the monster I want. I think that's literally a line from, like, the Avengers or something. Where it's like, we need the beast inside or something. Uh, when in, re- in reference to Hulk. And then uh, she will attempt to force uh, Frey to transform. Which maybe through DM magic and god power she can do. Uh, but then the Mythalar itself will begin sputtering. Because I'll have it do different things. And it will, like, split them completely. and And create her go as a separate entity, which I, I'm debating on whether or not it should be in her image or not, or if it should back, be back to the generic image, but I do like that artwork uh, that we haven't seen enough times, which is the uh, the custom one we had done of the Frey Wendigo, which is pretty great. Uh, in fact, I like it as, as a, like a demonic evil image that she has to like straight up face, which is amazing. And I thought even at insult injury because of how that happened to Frey, Frey would then have to make a con save against the equivalent of a stinking cloud spell which is on a fail save, the creature spends its action retching and reeling, and she would literally be, like, vomiting up all of her, like, metaphorical and literal cannibalism, like, all these, like, body parts and things would just come out of, like, very horror movie style, where it's not, like, um, it doesn't make any logical sense that you would be able to, like, uh, you know, vomit up that much, but it would very much be, like, 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 a purging of this entire curse from her body, and then she would have to make a con save against um, essentially being incapacitated by that for just a round, but still, that uh, would be pretty... Uh, Interesting, I think, to have to deal with that. And then, of course, the result is that the actual, you know, instead of it being gone from you, it is now manifested as its own entity that uh, everybody has to deal with. But we can talk about the positioning of the enemies, um, how close we are, because, again, I'm having these cutscenes with Aurel, even though she's currently right now 65 feet away from the player. So maybe I need to bring everybody a little bit closer. Uh, And I'm still keeping her forces pretty closely the same she's got six snow golems three frost giant skeletons and then her at max health which is almost 200 and then she will uh go to her third form whenever it either goes down to zero or the players successfully attuned to the mythilar in which case she can go to the third form Uh, although even then i'm not sure how i would probably just require it to be another action uh for the player attuned to it to reach so maybe she'd only be in that round for like uh, that form for a round or so it really depends on the pacing of the session we'll we'll kind of see about that Huge thing they built in Contact. Yeah, they kind of similar. It has like the... It, it kind of has a... Uh, I'm trying to figure that device too, but it didn't have... A, what am I trying to say? Like an ori or something that rotates around. It's like a globe thing, but like with bands coming around it. I don't know if there's a word for that. Weird Wizard City architecture. Yep, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's a weird-ass weird Wizard City. And some goats. <laughs> the goats... Yeah, there's not too many goats uh, in Etherin, I'm afraid. I'm Frey and Frey to go thing. Yeah, I'm um, I'm thinking it should be cool. Hey Rodrigo. Ray Vomits 3,123 fingers. <laughs> yeah, that's uh hey Grant. You brought the monster. <laughs> that's that's the quote, thank you. Um it would be a little bit modified from that, basically. It would just be uh she would have a, a little bit of a villain soliloquy because every DM has to be uh you know given their in their villain monologue moment. And that would be to Frey specifically. Uh, because you have to I think you have to address that right away. One of the players spawn in and it's right, you know, in the middle of, of Aurel's like triumphant, you know, reaching the mithalar Uh, and then she will have to respond to Frey. And 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 we can play around with the dialogue a little bit, but the but the ultimate goal would be to like piss Frey off to where she's like, Well, fuck you. And then uh the frost maiden within rip uh, the the Frey to go from her and that could that could be a... and and I don't think because you know Frey will be there, I don't actually think this Wendigo form will be that strong. And it I did scale it up at one point halfway through the campaign, but I was always aware of the fact that like they're minus a player when they're fighting this thing. Uh we obviously had a big battle with it back in the Caves of Hunger, uh which ended up taking two full sessions. Uh hopefully that won't be the case now when you have Frey right there. And and I'm probably between you and me, I won't even probably use its fear ability. It'll probably just go with like attacking Frey and maybe and I know I can teleport I think while grappling people so it could like you know zip around and separate her from the party and just make her deal with this for like a round or two. Maybe I should have the forces closer to the action uh, just so the players feel like they have to deal with her at least somewhat versus everybody just rushing towards the Mithalar at once kind of force the fight a little bit. Uh, would be ideal, I did create like a little blurb right here that the players again they can avoid because they can just fly or they can move up here to this area because this is uh shut down, although they may be afraid of it and just say like well there 's a giant spinning blade trap there, and even though it 's powered down i 'm not going near it, which is totally fair, and that 's between you and me that that would be fun for me to enjoy them squirm because i don 't plan on activating that blade trap <laughs> uh, I do have these giant like tentacle things i 'll probably just follow the rules of uh whatever that spell is that creates uh what is it? I think it's Hunger of Hadar. Uh that creates the tentacle zone. The tentacle zone the void slurping noises, fabric, space, creatures from the air takes two d6 cold damage, and then acid damage, yeah. So it's just kind of a it's basically permanent hungers of Hadar's Uh, throughout the battlefield. And then if things get really interesting to where like some of the players are on top of here uh, and I feel like they need to have a little bit more danger or something happen, I've also uh, got another one of my... uh, I think they're called Scavers, gabers, which is from Spelljammer, those flying space sharks, which I was going to do as an encounter earlier in the campaign, if you recall. And they used Lord Marbury, the Pegasus, to basically avoid that whole encounter. So this is a way for another like tear in space to open up and have these... Uh, flying space sharks come at them, just to add even more insanity to this fight. Uh, if I need to, it's on the GM layer. You know, I've never seen Event Horizon. I really need to. Uh, that's one I have not seen. I am kind of scared of it because everybody says it's really freaky. A goat has to be the final boss. <laughs> yeah, Arl's final final form is just a regular goat. I try to monologue my players always like. So many anyway, of started blasting. Yeah, that's that is funny. Um, it's <laughs> it's a shame with. Uh, when players don't let you monologue, because, man, villains are such a fun moment. This one is important, though, because one of the players has such a strong tie to uh, this villainous character that uh, I think there will be time for that. Be prepared for the party to try to grab and toss baddies into the Mithilar. That's what mine did. Oh, sure, yeah, they can absolutely do that. Um, I would encourage it. I think that's awesome. Uh, It would be... It's going to be tricky, because... As I've got it set up right now, the bad guys aren't really going to be able to chase after them. This this whole villain team lacks mobility, and maybe the which is why maybe I need to have them be a lot closer to the party to force that fight, because that's a weakness I'm realizing I'm having is that the party if they if all of the party just rush uh towards the mythalar, then this could actually be quite anticlimactic because like the snow golems only move like 10 feet at a time. Um the frost giant skeletons, I actually don't remember. They have some reach, but I mean. They have 20-foot reach, and... Oh, jeez, 40 feet. Those are fast-ass skeletons. Holy crap. They get a whole ass. That's scary. Uh, they do have a 60-foot freezing stair, which can paralyze people, though. That will help a lot. That will help a bunch, actually. I don't think I got a chance to really use these skeletons much, did I? We had I think we had a pair of them, which, by the way, I, I custom built them a little bit based on the cool artwork that they have. Uh, and actually gave them, like... they're um, They're wielding... Like an anchor attached to a chain which is cool as shit and so I gave them like those that kind of a stat block including like an AoE sweep attack and then uh, one that like grapples them and uh, I should add the fact that maybe it can pull them closer kind of like a vine whip ability uh, but a freezing stair that's pretty awesome 60 feet or they take 10d6 cold damage and be paralyzed that's pretty huge it's a good range too so actually yeah these guys are not too bad Enough with the ancient white dragon. It's not going to happen. There's too much going on. <laughs> There's way too much going on. The white dragon will be a fun epilogue thing, but it's not going to make an appearance here. Neither will the giant death golem that I built, because that was again always meant to be mostly a environmental hazard the players had to deal with. Uh, and if this were a video game, it'd be like an optional, like giant, you know, hard boss fight they could have fought, uh, which I guess I did play around with making stats for it at one point. Uh, but because they turned, they defeated Eriolarthus and turned off. All of the security systems and things that includes that golem. Leskin can of course run to the Mithlar and back for the Snowman Blink. Yeah, that's, that is tricky for sure. Now, I guess, Hmm. yeah, she's pretty fast. You should actually look at, and it's, the interesting thing is, one of the things I can play with completely in this encounter is where everybody spawns. So that could be a big I, that could be a big deal. So maybe this maybe the players literally spawn in the middle of these forces. Uh, maybe like she's closer, and we could put them further back. So maybe you know it's I, I'm bending over backwards trying to figure out how to do this, but it's completely up to me where they spawn. I have not shown them this map yet, so they don't even know where they're at. So maybe we bring them a little bit closer. Maybe, and I even said, like, they're part of this battle going on here. You know, cutting through this battle, and I've kind of put it towards this. So I, I figure, like, maybe Oral came from the south, Avarice came from the west, and that's where their forces essentially have clashed right here, and then she's got this kind of vanguard marching towards the Mithilar, and then maybe we put the players, like, actually right here. Uh, I mean, we could even put them behind some of the snow golems. That might be more interesting. Maybe we put them, like, here. How crazy is that? We'll put, like, Aurel herself, like, here. And now, now all of a sudden, it's a little crazier. So they're literally spawning in in the middle. And we'll move this little so the circle they appear. That a- that actually may be too distracting. I may just get rid of that. I don't know. Um, it's just to denote, like, where they spawned in. But whatever. It goes right there. Maybe that makes a little bit more sense and adds to the drama and then forces the players to be like, oh shit, now we're in the middle of all these enemies. Okay, so I'm actually kind of liking this idea a little bit better. Maybe even put one of these freaking skeletons in melee range. There we go. And, and that also means Aurel's opening move, instead of doing the stasis, which she could do, just unleash a cone of cold. Because that's uh, her two best abilities are both on recharge, so she should be using um, she should be using these uh, those two recharge abilities as much as she can. How are they spawning in? Um, well, the players have I, I created I, I replaced the spindle room in the spire of Aerial Arthas, Uh because I didn't do the whole spindle angle at all uh, with a just magic elevator, basically uh, similar to the one they took up to the spire. Except in this case, it's just kind of a teleportation circle instead of a physical elevator. Uh, and once they defeated Irelarthus, they could, uh that door opened and they could rush into that circle and then essentially teleport down to the uh, Mithilar area, which was also just a handy way for the uh, wizards in the spire to be able to reach this bottom area with the Mithilar. Um and it just, and it's up to me where the players, where the exit of that teleportation circle is. You know, how close is it to the Mithlar? I imagine it wouldn't be right on top of it for safety reasons, which is a good thing here because uh, definitely a safety concern. But, you know, like if they spawn in here, it's within, you know, about 40 feet of the uh, cradle. And that's within about 80 feet of the globe and about 50 feet of the outer uh, ring, which is currently where its unstable energies have expanded into. That's still close, and yet you can see how close, and I've just moved up the players kind of right in the middle of Oral's forces. So that will force them, and then of course we can have this, you know, Wendigo right there, and the Wendigo will just lock onto Frey. It'll target only Frey, uh, which would hopefully force Frey to fight the Wendigo. And what I'm planning on doing is only having these enemies here actually be uh, the ones we're rolling for initiative, and the rest will essentially be just fighting Avarice's forces as a background. But I want to put them on the map because it's unfortunately a gigantic map, and it would look weird if I didn't have more enemies. I th- and my players, and me as well, are just used to having the visualizations there in front of us, so I can't just describe it. I think I need to really put them on the map, but I will not be uh, running those units on the left side. Only the ones with the numbers will I be actually running. Now, we could talk about using more forces. Um, I did mention, and as part of her stat block, she can make cold light walkers or make um, golems. In fact, we can have a corpse uh, right here, and we're gonna put a cold light walker on the GM layer. And then as one of her things, if you wanted to, instead of spawning a snow golem, she could spawn a cold light walker right here. These has got right here, so they'll be flashing and bashing. And, and kind of create, like, a little invisible line here, I guess, where uh, these fights are going on and, and keeping uh, Avarice's forces at bay. And the whole goal is for both of the leaders to expend their forces, keeping each other's forces busy, while the leaders make it to the Mithlar to do their thing. Now, Avarice can fly, so she can make it to the Mithlar with her fly spell a little bit faster, and she'll have her two gargoyles with her. I'm going to not put her on the map at the moment, but I will probably describe... And maybe she's kind of far, um, just so I can have that in my back pocket in terms of when I actually want to use her on her arrival to the Mithilar. If the players aren't going towards the Mithilar, then I can kind of press the fact that she's heading towards there. If they if they do immediately go up to the Mithilar, then maybe she's already up there and the players just quite weren't able to see her yet or maybe just about to land. You know, So I can kind of play around with like that distance a bit, because there's such a big distance here. I think I can um, withhold a little bit of information to an extent. So I could spawn more Snow Golems and Cold Light Walkers, but otherwise this is the main bulk of the force that I'll be using against the players and have them already be um, essentially surrounded by enemy forces. Bray does not get separated quick. She's not going to like that big sun thing. Yeah, well, actually... Captain, the the sun actually does radiant damage and not fire damage, which are two different things in D&D damage types. And she is only specifically, I mean, she could roleplay it that way for sure. But in terms of her mechanical vulnerability, she's specifically vulnerable to fire and not radiant, which is kind of weird. Uh, I guess it's just a weird loophole there. Uh, and, and maybe she would even be drawn to it being um, blessed from the Frost Maiden. She would feel like a power from there. So, I like that change. We'll put the, the players in the middle of the forces, and that'll kind of force, because I do want to force a fight here and have it be, you know, rolling initiative, but the goal would be to kind of fight your way out and hopefully reach, have at least one person reach the Mithalar. You can have multiple people attuned to the Mithalar, which I would argue maybe would reduce the DC and the challenge. Obviously, if Auro reaches the Myth it's game over, so that's hopefully just not going to happen, and Auro would um, hopefully be focused on attacking the players. And yes, I will have a cutscene. So probably, let's see, Auro will need to address Frey first, and we'll have that happen. Then I can either roll initiative for Katavix, or... And, and then and then he can... That might actually be the best idea, is have Katavix actually roll initiative. Oh, he wants initiative bonuses, a plus two. And maybe on his turn, he can go and approach Aurel and then, you know, say his spiel about and kind of trigger another um, cut scene, <laughs> basically, as as his action. And then Aurel can do a fun thing where she deals with him. And, and maybe that, you know, stuns her for a round, dealing with him, or expends some of her um abilities maybe it puts like her ice stasis on recharge or does something to where they sh- the player should be rewarded for having katavix with them uh, but ultimately he will be uh killed by her as she um has lost whatever shreds of humanity she once had uh, and like i said it's it's been you know he's been a ghost for this long um and this is all and he's just obsessed and that's all he's thought about whereas she's gone like two thousand years as a Goddess of ice, so she'd be like, "Yeah, dude, we're done. <laughs> it's it's over." <laughs> My name is No. <laughs> I don't know if you want to throw the middle of combat because it might slow down the session a lot. I mean, we're I, I think we're still doing combat, but like I said, we're, we're gonna we're gonna play it fast and loose with what players could do in combat. Um, and I guess the big concern is the spacing in terms of how long does it take you to get to the Mythlar, because if you you know, if you dash, if you can fly and you can dash, or even if you don't fly, you know, you're making it, what, 60 feet for most of them? So it would take them, uh, you know, I would argue two turns to get close enough to the Mithalar. Unless I say, hey, as long as you're within, you know, 30 feet of the Mithalar, then you can begin to attune to it. Um, it's just dangerous if you're down here versus up here, you're kind of pro- you're protected. Uh, maybe there's some kind of wards on uh, this Maybe you're still within 30 feet on top of here, but the energy hasn't... There's, like, some kind of ward on this pedestal where you're kind of protected for a bit to kind of encourage players to be up there. But you could end up being down here. So, in essence, you would have to spend at least one turn getting to the Mithilar, Um, probably with a dash, and then next turn you could begin to attune to it, um, hopefully is the right timing, because I do want to create... I, I do want it to be ultimately a big final combat encounter with all of these, you know powerful stat blocks and things, and yeah, it'll slow down action a little bit because there's a lot of enemies on the the board. I'm hoping to create a situation where, yes, we're in combat with the players, uh, do not feel like they have to kill all these enemies, which, again, you can lead them to water, you can't make them drink, so it is gonna be tricky. I mean, it could be a long session for sure. I, I Actually, I'm expecting it to be a long session. And you know what? Last week was also a three hour plus session. And that's that's just how these big climax things goes. I don't think you want to skimp on that. I think you want to draw it out. And now the nice thing is we do a separate epilogue and recap session later. So we can literally, as soon as you know everything ends, um, we don't have to have a whole big epilogue and what are your characters doing and all that afterwards. We'll actually do that on the following session. So we'll pretty much just stick to the actual climax here. And then, you know, you, you can see the actual cutscene, I guess, but in terms of like the post-credit scenes and all that, that'll actually be uh, during next week's session. And yeah, Michael, if, if Aurel gets the Mithilar, it is literally game over. So, um, my plan is not to have that happen. Uh, if the players, what I can do is have Aurel making her way towards the Mithilar with her actions, um, which means maybe she's not actually using her teleport that much. Uh, and she would want to make it on top of the thing. She doesn't want to take that radiant damage either. I assume she doesn't have any. Let's actually see. She's immune to cold and poison. She's also vulnerable to fire, but does not have any kind of radiant stuff. Uh, so she would also take that da- damage there. But so she would want to try to make it up here. So she would have to use. She would have to get close and then use her teleport power to get up there. So it's it's unlikely she would make it up there in her current form. But maybe I could have it where she. If she marches her way up there, uh, which again, she's gonna try to kill these players because she knows how strong they are. Um, but but I'll try to have her marching inevitably, inexorably, towards the mythilar, where she could even make it inside of here, take damage to where she sheds her body and turns into the crystal form if the players still haven't gotten, you know, successfully attuned to the mithalar And then as crystal form, she could fly up here and attune uh to the mythilar. So in terms of her stat block. Um, I have enhanced it quite a bit. I've basically combined her first two forms into her second form uh, by giving her the Touch of Frost and Frost Orb abilities, and I think I jacked up the damage. Uh, and as part of her Touch of Frost, they have a plus 13 to hit, 3d8 on Touch of Frost, and 5d8 on Frost Orb. Yeah, she pretty much only does cold damage, but uh, and the players will probably have resistances, and in Frey's case, immunity. I guess we need to talk about how... She gets to re- maintain her attunement to the codicil, or how that works. Because that does make Frey kind of unstoppable if she's literally immune to cold for this fight. Um, although I don't see Frey as the one attuning to the and she's just one person. So having her be just an unstoppable force, you know, tanking the enemies is not a bad way for a player to uh, reach their climax either. So I, I, I'm, I'm on two minds of that. I'm tempted to let her just keep it. Or I could rip her of. Uh, it, would, it would make sense, obviously, for Arl to kind of rip her uh, of the blessing for sure. Especially if Frey ends up being like "fuck you" or whatever, and 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 then Arl's like, "All right, well, I don't need you. I need the monster inside you." And as part of that, she will forcibly like attune Frey, which is that's you know mechanically not something uh, enemies can normally do, but you're literally attuned by you know being devoted to uh this goddess who has granted you this power um also so she can do multi-attack um i did make it so touch of frost she can actually target each creature within range with just one attack so she kind of has an aoa melee attack um she does have a cone of cold which does 8d8 damage a 60 foot cone it's a dc21 con saves so that's pretty awesome but it's on a recharge of six make sure it actually comes out properly. Let's see what that looks like. 46 cold damage. That's pretty nasty. And DC 21 is not easy for anybody but Frey, I think. And I believe I made, yeah, this is the, what the cone looks like, 60 footer. Uh, and all these enemies should be immune to cold, so she can do that with impunity. In fact, I believe it will heal these snow golems. They have cold absorption and uh, regaining number of hit points equal to the cold damage dealt. So that would be especially nice uh, that they can heal them. Uh, And then she's got the... uh, So I replaced her ability to create ice methods with just creating snow golems or cold light walkers, so that scales her up a lot and uh, solves the problem of me putting too many enemy types on the field. Uh, And they just roll initiative. Uh, That is an action, though, so she would probably never use it except as a legendary action, which I do have that as a legendary action. Ice stasis is a much trickier one to use. This one is... It's cool, but as we've determined, it sucks to put a single player out and put them out of combat, basically. I still think it's a neat ability, uh, but that's why I'm tempted to have it uh, basically be used on Katavix first, which is the target must succeed on a DC 21 charisma saver, become trapped in the crystal. um, Yeah, within 60 feet. Uh, This little crystal, and then they become stunned and can't do anything. Um, Believe... They get, I mean, they get, the, they get the save initially, but once they're stunned, I, th- I don't think they can do anything. And they well, they, they take cold damage the start of each turn. Oh, no, sorry. They do... I can finish reading here. They can repeat the saving throw at the end of each turn, so they can repeat a DC 21 charisma save. Bring itself on a success. The creature is also freed if the crystal is destroyed, which can only be done with fire damage. So, interesting ability, but I'm probably leaning towards um, having her do that to uh, Katavix first. Um, which means... I'd have to work on the timing of how to do that, because if she does that, and and I could just play around with the timing, and just, she just does that as a cutscene, and essentially takes away the recharge of that initially, and, and kind of traps him in there, which he should die. Let's see, I give him 76 hit points, so on average, he'll die on like... Ooh, that was bad. 18 cold damage. That's 66? That's not a lot of damage. Okay, maybe it's only like 20 damage then. Actually, I mean, 66 is what? 36... So that's actually yeah, eighteen is about average. So he would not die for a while. He would stay in there. <laughs> just slowly start dying. So that's probably a good use of it. Um so I re- I replaced her Morning Star and Dart with the Touch of Frost and Frost Or, which are both much better. Um She's got cold absorption in this form, magic resistance, legendary resistance, and then legendary actions. She can just make a weapon attack. Uh she can teleport, which is something she can do with her uh, first form, I think. Which will help her get to the Mythlar if she needs to. But uh, otherwise just helps her get out of melee range. Although she's actually pretty powerful in melee, so I don't know. And the third one is to do that creating more minion thing. Or, as part of the same legendary action, which it, it's normally, it costs two. Um, instead of having it cost two, I'm actually going to limit it to once per round. That way she could do more weapon attacks, for example. But still can't do more snow spawns. I think that's actually a better... Way to balance legendary actions instead of having one take two or three actions, just have it limit to where you can only do it once per round. Uh, But she could spawn a new minion or cause a snow golem to move up to its speed, which is only 10 feet, and explode, which forces a deck save or taking a bunch of damage and has them literally like using like exploding corpse as like a mobile snowball thing. Which I don't know, that seemed kind of fun (laughs) as a legendary action because she needs to do some kind of AoE besides. Uh, Cone of Cold, I think, is her only one, and it's on a recharge six. And she's got about two hundred hit points and an AC of sixteen, which is not that high. Though so, I mean, they could power her down. And then her big thing is that she's got that third form, or what would be her second form for me. The Cadavix at twenty—that's true. Yeah, you can have Cadavix go uh, early, as long as Cadavix goes before oral does. Um, because basically during the cutscene is when she'll do the fray to go thing, and then if you have Cadavix goes Or if have Katavix go first You know no matter what and then he goes first and that triggers the Frost Maiden to then do her ice stasis either on her turn Or the safer thing to do would be to do it just right then and there. It's kind of bullshit DM magic that she can do this as um, Our reaction, but that's not really how it works <laughs> uh, with Every bad guy going for the middle, they should get the idea. Yes. And the way that DM suggestion will work, Lazy DM, is through Katavix. Katavix, before he goes and engages with Oral, he will mention to the players, and maybe I could even say this as part of them um, go, reaching into the myth. And I don't have Valin on this map. I could have Valin come in later as kind of a design thing where you know he rode in and helped them during a boss battle. I could have Valin come in and sacrifice herself because she's got like no hit points. Uh, in fact, I should go ahead and put her... Copy and paste her. She's got six hit points from that battle. Unless oh, she has a mirror image, I guess. Uh, from the aerial Arthas battle, but I will put her on the map on the GM layer, and she can ride in and do whatever bullshit ability she needs to do. I'll stick her on the GM layer otherwise. Uh, otherwise, I assume the players are want to keep her behind, or maybe not. I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that. Maybe she just hesitates for a second. Uh, but Katavix can tell the players, hey, in order to attune to the Mytholar, you have to be close to it, and he will warn them and say that the... You know the attuning to the Mythlar is no small task; it is a tremendous amount of energy that you have to connect to uh, kind of almost in a way, borrowing from uh the d and d movie where a big subplot from one of the characters was trying to attune to a magic item, uh which I actually really liked that idea of of having that be uh a bit of a challenge basically and in this case, I mean what greater challenge could there be in terms of a object to attune to than this grand ancient artifact that can literally lift an entire city into the sky like it's so powerful that normally i would even uh and and, and katavex has even said like you know normally a a, several people attuned to it like eight you know eight of the high wizards were attuned to it so they could all you know keep it uh steady and everything and iri had obviously grown really powerful and crazy so he was attuned to it solo uh and now having one person attuned to it would be equally very very dangerous And uh, I was inspired also by the uh, first Guardians of the Galaxy movie where they have to you know, grab the stone at the end and they all have to hold hands to kind of share. That's like to share the attunement in a way. So I don't know exactly how to work the rules about that because there's already no rules about attuning like during combat or anything. And now I'm introducing like maybe it takes multiple people or it doesn't take multiple people, but you can use multiple people to try and like lower uh, that... Skill check, so ultimately this would be a skill check. So the rules I've got right now, which I could play around with, is that a creature, I think, the rules as stated is within 30 feet, I believe, which I could keep that. Uh, To attune to the Mithalar, creature must finish a short rest within 30 feet of it, meditating on the Mithalar. And up to eight creatures can be attuned to it at one time. Um, So you could say, you know, within 30 feet of it, Of the Mithilar or standing on the ledge above it which is kind of a special like attunement place and and Katavik's even point that out and be like normally you know we just you know we're wizards we can fly or whatever teleport <laughs> somebody gets up there and does it but you could be you know down and close to it it's usually just not very safe because it's a big you know reactor um and you would have to make a arcana check I figure arcana is the most applicable here uh to make that check DC I was gonna ask all of you what kind of appropriate DC I was thinking a DC 25 for a single person to try to attune to it Which is not very easy at all But perhaps the players can be smart and give you know, bardic inspiration, which is a d12 and Edmund's got flash of genius Which I'm hopefully Edmund is the one that does it because it would just make most most sense and he's got the best Abilities for it. I don't actually know if he's got the best arcana check. It might actually be vol weirdly enough even though he's got the best intelligence but I don't think he has proficiency. Well, Robin's a plus four. Because uh, he's got barred things that let him be good at checks. Uh, Edmund has a plus five. So Edmund is still the best one. But plus five is not a good, you know, it's not a gimme. He's not proficient in Arcana. So that would be a very, very difficult check for him to make. Uh, I mean, in fact, as a baseline, he would have to make an at 20. to actually make that check. So we could lower it to maybe a DC 20, which then makes it, if you have Barding Inspiration and Flash of Genius, uh, which Flash of Genius, assuming he's got some left, he does have two left, uh, instantly gives him a plus five. So actually, if you assume he's got Flash of Genius, he's really got basically a plus 10 to Arcana. Well, we could do multiple... Checks, um, but then you run to the fact of like how many rounds does it take, and this is where things could really slow down. Now I could let it take multiple rounds. I was gonna have it at least take two rounds, one action to make the attunement, and then the second separate action in turn would be to then choose how you want to redirect that energy. I don't know if anybody here played uh, Pillars of Eternity, but I believe the end of the first game had a similar choice. You, no, I mean, it wasn't the end. It was it was a, a quest in the middle of the game. Where there was this like soul energy that you could um, almost picture like the Ghostbusters, where they had the big, you know, all the ghosts were inside of this uh, facility. Uh, And you got control of it through somehow means. And then you, but you got to choose like how you wanted to use all that energy. You could dissipate all the souls back to people. You could uh, destroy them. You could uh, take them into yourself. And it gave you like a stat boost. It was like all kinds of different options you had to deal with that. And this one is similar where you have different. Uh, options of how to redirect that energy. Um. I did say that anyone who attunes to the Mithilar, <laughs> I thought I could play around with the Indefinite Madness table a little bit uh, as like a permanent scarring because again, it's, it's been so connected to the Far Realm. I think Indefinite's the long one, yeah. That's like the permanent one, yeah. Uh, so maybe you just gain a new flaw just by attuning to it. Which maybe is, you know, makes sense why uh, Erelarthus was kind of demented as well. Um, If you succeed, you get to attune to the Mithlar and you gain an indefinite madness flaw. If you fail, I was going to say that you take just psychic damage. Which uh, I was going to maybe do like 8d8. See what that looks like. Okay, that's like 35 psychic damage. All my players had cold resistance by the end, so I had to give Oral an ability to ignored cold resistance. Yeah, I could do that, or that could help keep things balanced also, if they're only taking half damage, because uh, I guess, Jason, I'm interested if you're... Uh, where your players were, because my players have just come off of a big boss battle, which is something I'm also trying to be aware of in the balance of this fight. Like, yes, this is the final climax, but I literally gave them two back-to-back boss battles without any... Even a short rest in between. Now they still have a lot of resources left, a lot of spells, key points, all that stuff remaining. Um, Hit points is probably the biggest thing. Three of them are right now at 50% hit points going into this big fight, which immediately makes things very dangerous. So yes, a lot of them may have cold resistance and still have a lot of their abilities, but that's it. it changes the dynamic and balance of this fight quite a bit. Uh, also, I believe uh, Lord Marbury was killed in the Iriel Arthas battle, and Valravan, um, did he actually even summon him in the middle of battle? Does it take, like, uh, conjure, uh, elemental or something, where they, where it takes a while? I like how he did not, or I guess he did rename it, yeah, it's called Summon Lord Marbury. Yeah, it takes 10 minutes, so he cannot have Lord, so that's a big change, because if they had Lord Marbury, that would be huge. Then they could just hop on that and fly all the way to... Uh, the Mithalar with this stupid fucking like 90-foot fly speed. That's a broken summon, as we've seen in this game. Um, so he does not have Lord Marbury with him, which is uh, certainly a big one as well. Um, once you've attuned to the Mithalar, then you can choose... And I wrote down basically three options. I'm sure the players will try to come up with something else. Um, that they can choose to do with this energy once you're attuned to the Mithalar. Option one, you can do exactly what Arl did and try to take all that energy into yourself and become a godlike figure. And and keep in mind, all three of these are a way to basically solve the crisis of the uh, Mythalar about to explode, uh, but they wouldn't necessarily solve the Everlasting Rhyme crisis. So you would become like this godlike figure. I don't have stats for anything like that at that point. It's probably just a cutscene of the character becoming, uh, well, and it's not just a cutscene. They have to make a save for this, by the way, and pr- probably multiple saves. I wrote down, I believe, a con save and a wisdom save because it changes you uh, mentally and physically, like a DC twenty-two, and you have to take all this damage if you don't. If you're not able to do it, it just kind of spills into your body and just more than likely destroys you if you fail to do this because you're taking all that energy into yourself, and then maybe you like explode or something violently. But technically, that is a way of you like redirecting the energy successfully. Um, but you could attempt to make some really strong saves, and then become this godlike figure, basically equal to Oral. And then I, I literally don't know how to make a stat block for that, or how to do anything like that. Other than maybe it just becomes, um, yeah, I don't know, I I don't know how to do it. But I, I want to give the players that option. I don't really have it be functional in combat. I feel like at that point you're probably in like cutscene territory, and you're just kind of describing uh, what happens and maybe I'll let the player decide like well, what what are your powers like you tell me like oro became a frost goddess but you know maybe because she was transmutation and uh Edmund's, if it's Edmund, like he's also transmutation so he would become you know whatever that but it might be like you know Valravan becomes a i don't know what's the what's a godlike version of a writer he <laughs> become a uh, stephen king <laughs> uh some i don't I don't know um oscar Wilde, maybe more of Valravan speed <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah that, that was one option. I thought it'd be really fun to play with that as like as like an ending as one character becomes godlike or or they don't, and they just absolutely die and explode, um, but at least they've uh you know gotten rid of the threat of the uh the energy because it had coursed through them and it destroys them. Option two, which is and that's what Aura would ultimately want to do is to take the rest of that power into herself and assuming she would be able to handle it, which given her, um, you know, current form, I think she would be able to. Uh, she would then go from being a, basically, a lesser god, which I don't I don't know, I know the pantheon of Groton Realms like I should, um, in terms of being, like, around Icewind Dale specifically, and just winter, and become more of, a, like, a major god of the world, and just becoming crazy powerful, uh, which is certainly what the players don't want to have happen. And if, uh, and that's what, uh, but then the second option is to just power up Etherin. so you put all the energy back into the city and essentially you try to repair the Mithalar into um, becoming functional once again and uh, turning it back into a normal reactor for the city which would you know probably require maybe another arcana check or something and if you fail any of these you just get destroyed absolutely Um, and you could try to but at least but again it would dissipate the energy so it's just you you know would be sacrificing yourself if you fail to do this um and that would help turn Aethrin back on and, and you become essentially what Ariel Arthas was and master of Ethrin. But uh and you, you can have the whole city begin to fly up and just completely like dominate that, and that could be a, a crazy ending for the players to be able to take control of that situation. Uh they'd still have to deal with Aurel though. Um the third and at that point she would just be you know apoplectic and want to destroy the players. The third option, which is technically the good option is to reverse the Everlasting Rhyme, you know, use the power of the Mithilar to basically destroy Aurel. I kind of had like a slash through all these options. It's it's, you could sap Aurel of her power, destroy her, whatever means you want of the player to try to figure out in order to reverse the Everlasting Rhyme and turn Icewind Dale back to um, relatively normalcy, which would reduce Aurel's form. Uh, and, And basically you'd be almost stripping her of her power and like kind of, disseminating all of the energy of the mythilar just kind of into the weave or whatever uh which would be the good ending because essentially you're not choosing to gain any power from it you're just trying to take away the villain's power at that point um which would probably require another check to be able to successfully do that or maybe not maybe i could say that if, if they select that then because i kind of want that to happen you know in my viewpoint um maybe that doesn't require a check Or maybe it just requires saves. I guess I should say all of them require saves just so you don't die from the process of doing the thing. So that's the thing. I would let the player be able to do whatever option they wanted to, but then they would have to make saves to determine if they actually survive the process of doing it versus just being completely disintegrated in a way that it becomes a very big like sacrificial moment for them. Give them the stat block of a solar. Yeah, so I I could hopefully whip something out if they still wanted to technically uh, continue the combat, I guess, as a super-powered superhero, but maybe that's interesting. What's funny is I just uh, I've been bitching about how other campaigns uh, always fall into that trap of the 5e campaigns where they're like, well, the players only get to level 12, we still want them to fight like a demogorgon or uh, a serac or an ancient, you know, blue dragon or whatever these huge, you know, tmad, and it's like, but well, we have to give them like superpowers or have to debuff the final enemy. It's like, guys, you don't you haven't earned this yet. And in this case, it's funny as I'm giving the players a chance to basically become super powerful <laughs> and, and kick ass. But at least it's in the. I, it, it's a tough choice to be able to do that. And, and it should be very, very deadly in an attempt to do that. They have lots of healing potions. They need to use those. That's true. They do. Start at 25 and drops by two for every other attunement person. So that's what I was thinking um, is that, to, yeah, to lower the DC by multiple attunements. What I haven't quite figured out is. Like, does that mean the first person, because you only need one person to attune to it to do everything. Does that mean other people can join in as part of like a free action or a react? Because we're going to be in combat, so that's the tricky thing to figure out. It's going to have to be somebody's action to attune to the Mithalar. If you have two or three people go up there because they heard from Katavix, oh, it's easier for multiple people to do it, how do I work out the timing of that in initiative order? Do I just say like, well, one person initiates the action and then other people can then just choose to use their action, you know, ahead of time to join in the attunement and that thus lowers the DC. Do I have them all use their action right then? You can see where it gets a little bit tricky and maybe I just have to do that as part of the kind of wonkiness of of letting that happen because I could allow, and that's something I do wanna allow is, is if the option of multiple people attuning to it which then lowers the DC, all of them would have to roll at that lower DC to see if they can su- successfully do it. And some of them might not be able to, and they would fail and take the damage and have those things happen. Yeah, it, it'd be, oh, that's different, Lazy. You're, you're talking about the help action, but only the first person makes the roll. I was thinking making everybody still make the roll. Um, because everybody's because literally you're not just helping one person attune to it you are all literally attuning to it together that was something specifically the Mythalar art even says in the book is up to eight people can attune to it at once so i would have multiple people actually making the check which i think is more interesting have multiple people making the check if they're attuning to it um but the dc lowers for everybody so if there's one person attuning to it the dc is 25 if there's two people attuning to it maybe the dc is 22 for both of them if there's three people attuning maybe it's the dc is 19 for all three of them i'm just trying to work out the timing so like when one person says like all right i tune to it and there's three more people that want to do it you know how do i quite do that in the middle of combat yeah edmund goes up fails you let him know he needs help second player reaches him same turn uses action to let edmund roll again but lower dc yeah, I mean, the help action is there for that. I, I guess if we want to... And, and the players may just be like, well, no, we want to let one person attune to it, then um, I, I guess I could allow the help action to work in that regards. But I was I was really hoping to tie in the idea of uh, having multiple people be able to attune to it at once and, and, and have them all suffer the same consequences, similar to, again, the end of the Guardians movie where they're all... Um, you know, they're not all just shouting encouragement at, at, uh, Peter Quill. They're all, like, physically grabbing him and and taking on the energy of the stone and everything. And and I was hoping to equal those consequences. So, yeah, ready action to a tune would probably work. Um, I would probably just play it pretty fast. And we'll we'll just, I'm bending over, you know, and twisting myself and pretzels trying to make this happen. I have no idea what's going to happen. Um... But I may have to just play a little fast and loose with that and let, you know, if somebody attunes to it, say somebody else like, well, I'm going to, you know, help them out or something is even though it's not my turn yet. I'd be like, all right, well, this will be, you know, you're using your future action to attempt to attune to it uh, as well right now. And just note that that, that gets tricky though, because like you won't be able to use your turn that, you know, your turn right then. So maybe the first person there just has to ready the action until the other. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Hopefully we can figure it out. Anyone attuning can't fight. We can see how that affects combat. Well, correct, because it would take your action, your full action to attune to it. I guess technically you could still use a bonus action. I would I would allow that. But it would take your full action to attune to it. And then once attuned, I mean, you could technically, I guess, do other things. But I feel like once you're attuned, then you've got your options lined up in terms of like all right now your next action basically needs to and and, and you know what i would know i would force the player to be like all right the energy is now building you can feel it you know right there and and i would describe this as normally you would have time to be able to do whatever you want and then you know as long as you're tuned to the myth it's like any other magic item, you have to use it right then and there but because this one is at critical mass it's about to explode and I'm gonna describe it as like you know a paper cup trying to stem like this gushing waterfall. like your cup's just gonna give way any moment. the energy is gonna slam into you. You have to choose right now how to redirect and use this energy. so everybody attuned to it has to make that choice on what they're gonna to do to it. Um, and it has to be a collective decision. You can't have one person be like, well, I'm gonna you know try to draw the energy into me." Or maybe I could have it be, I don't know. I feel like it's all one blast of energy and they would all have to decide collectively together. But maybe again, by doing it as a collective that like, you know, makes the the saving throws easier even though more of them have a chance to perish at that point. So I'd probably make it so you only have one option even with multiple people um, because it's just too much energy. You can't uh, redirect it multiple ways. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be absolutely nuts. There's gonna be a lot going on for me to handle. Because we've got the whole Mithalar with its unique rules set up. We're going to have all this chaos stuff happening around. I'm going to try to keep the combat to just these forces. And hopefully we can maintain a balance of having a cool big boss battle. With also this stuff going on in the Mithalar. And then it'll really depend on the timing and the pacing. And how late it's getting by the time the players are successfully doing this energy thing. That will determine on whether this... um, on, On whether... Just have redirecting the energy destroys Aurel, or whether she becomes like her final form, and we still do some more combat, or you know how damage the players have gotten. And and keep in mind, Avarice, No matter what happens, Avarice should be here first, or maybe arriving as the players are doing. It. And the timing is going to be tricky. But I would like to have a. It would be the perfect setup. Would be all right. Some of the players choose to be like all right. We'll hold back these forces. You guys or one person go and attune, and that person goes up there, and they think okay, well still have no enemies, and then. Avarice swoops down with her gargoyles, and then players have to deal with those enemies at the same time, and maybe there's some cool like split-party mechanics with multiple things going on. That would be the dream, but of course we will see what happens because it's D&D and anything can happen. I have gone uh, way over my time, but that was appropriate because this is uh, a very climactic, important moment to go after. Uh, As always, if you have any more uh, comments or concerns or things to uh, send my way, you can do so on the Discord channel or as a comment below. I do plan on still streaming a final, final crafting stream next Monday during my normal Monday stream time. It will not be, obviously, crafting anything as we'll just be doing our epilogue recap. It'll be a chance to just do kind of an AMA and just talk about, just kind of sit and chat about the entire campaign. Uh, as, as a precursor to when we'll do that with the all the players for our uh, epilogue and recap next Friday oh my goodness so emotional it's it's a lot two years <laughs> that is gonna do it for this session of crafting ice from Dale. If you enjoy the content as always check out patreon.com slash rogue watson shout out to platinum patrons joe will thomas stan brandon genocider david eclectic roleplay role christopher brian william Corey, coa 1337 big nut john john chris scott jean eric dan tyler nathan camp crystal lake counselor big shep andrew and daryl and gold patrons rpg paper crafts pretty boy and yuma marcus dead lizard lion sam lumpy spuds jerome nathan fazika torta scott refus carolyn and william Thank you all very much for your support. Uh, patrons, I may see some of you tonight for the DM Roundtable. Otherwise, I will see all of you tomorrow night for our DD finale for Rhyme of the Frostmane.